Hello, Wounded Healers. How's everybody doing? So as I let you know, we will be releasing, re-releasing episodes this August. And this episode with David Clinton is an episode that was really moving for me personally. As we talk about in our interview, David is from my same hometown. And I don't know about you guys, but during the pandemic and everything that's been going on, there's been there's been a lot of reflecting of the past and where I came from and the ways in which our upbringing, you know, caused harm and has caused trauma. And so this episode for me really it's so very tender and so very special to me. And David has become somebody that I have reached out to more regularly because he's he's just a really, really awesome guy. So I wanted to re-release this episode. David has changed a little bit of what he's doing. So I wanted to read his bio again and give you new information about him. David Clinton is a private practice therapist in Naperville, Illinois. He's a native of Cincinnati and studied psychology and religion at Indiana University before entering his master's in clinical psychology from Wheaton College. He's counseled in private practice since 2002. He's also a guitarist, an amateur photographer, and an avid reader. David is married and a father of two children who fill his days with laughter, excitement, and a significant amount of property damage. So please enjoy my interview with David Clinton. David! Chad! David Chad! David Clinton! Hi! <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me on. You know, I had to start with this. So just for listeners, we went to the same high school and David yes. went by a different name. And so I've ran into a bunch of people who've done this, who've, who've gone with a different name later in life. And it's uh -huh. just it's very jarring for those of us who have memories of you as this other person. But yeah. But your name is David. And is that, that's your actual first name anyway, right? That's my actual first name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Growing up, it's my dad's first name as well. And mm -hmm. so I went by my middle name mm -hmm. up until I started working professionally, actually. So really um, all through college and grad school. But when I started my internship, I decided I was going to take mm -hmm. my first name. Because nobody wants to go to a therapist named Chad. I have not regretted it since. But yes, it is a little <laughs> disorienting. And technically... You were different. You had a different name too. Was a, yes. uh, Who wants to go to see it? I'm right. Nothing against Chad therapist, but it is <laughs> a little douchebaggy. It's just a little. It's a, I mean, it's definitely a bro. Yeah. It's a bro yeah. name. So I don't know any Chad therapists. I wonder if all Chads change their name when they become therapists. You know what? Let's do I, a it, research study on it. They should. They should. <laughs> it's just, it's not, it doesn't, whereas David is a strong, yes. it's a stronger name. It's it seems substantive. King, right? It's like sort of biblical, it's kingly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, yeah, so we did you grow up in Fairfield your whole life? I did. Okay, yeah. so we are both like true Fairfieldians. Yes, we are. And you graduated what year? I graduated 94. I think I'm a few years. Okay, so you're three years of ahead of me. I couldn't remember if it was three or four. Mm -hmm. But you were in Corlears too, right? No, I was not. I was not you a Corlear. Oh, nope. okay. Nope. Nope. Okay, so that's the show choir, you guys. So 
David was not part of the show choir, but Liz was. Liz is your beautiful, lovely, amazing, wonderful yes. wife. This was very involved with music and theater mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and high school as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am curious because you are the first and probably the only, no, I, act- I actually am interviewing another Fairfieldian next week for the podcast, but. You're kidding me. No. Oh, wow. She, yeah. She's not a therapist, but she's okay. doing this amazing skincare line that's all about self-care and healing. And I'm like, girl, you need to be on. Anyway, so and she like lives in San Diego or something now. So but I am really curious your reflections of just kind of the culture of our upbringing from your perspective. Yeah, well, I will say off the top that I it is so comforting. There's something I love about talking to someone that's from the same town, went to the same high school Mm -hmm. up in Chicagoland like that never happens. And I know I love that I could reference Forest Fair Mall. I can make a joke (laughs) and you you know it, you know, the sounds and the smells Mm -hmm. and the the, the culture of my childhood and that there is a kinship there Mm -hmm. uh, uh, being planted in Chicago. So the culture of Fairfield sort of growing up, I will say I never felt like I really fit there. Same. In Southern Ohio on the border of Kentucky, mm-hmm. I would say overall it was pretty conservative, pretty traditional. Fairfield's kind of a blend of blue collar, white collar class, a lot of really nice people, friendly people. But as a boy growing up, I was always kind of on the sensitive side and like I was not competitive. I could have mm-hmm. cared less about sports or cars or a- any number of things. And that was a lot of yeah. guy culture there. And so I don't know that I ever really felt like I fit. And for the longest time, I assumed that's because there was something wrong with me or I was mm-hmm. doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I graduated high school, I had a strong sense. I got to get out of here as fast <laughs> as I can. <laughs> And never really lived there again. Yeah. That's my sense of it. I'm glad to hear that. So just so listeners know, we didn't know each other really just kind of, you know, peripherally. I knew Liz and uh, and whatever, but I, just, I think you were in the same class as my sister too. My sister, Amy. Oh, Amy, you're yes. right. Yeah, I didn't I even think about that. Yes. 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 So yeah. So I knew Amy, Amy and I were in a lot of classes together, but what I see of you on Facebook, you are so authentic. You seem to really like know who you are and have landed in, in yourself in a really beautiful way. And so it's comforting to to me to hear that you also didn't feel like you fit in because I had that struggle, but I tried so hard to like make it work. And I had this, you know, this story that I was going to be the music teacher for Fairfield High School someday, you know, and that was what I, I thought I was supposed to do. But you seem to me like a person who had it together earlier than I did. Like, that's my story that I'm making up about you. And so it makes me feel good that you also were like, what the fuck is this place? (laughs) In some ways. As I was growing up, I think it was much more what the fuck is wrong with me. Right. And then in in teen years, there was a little more of, yeah, yeah, I got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, oh, I also tried really, really hard when I was in high school and I I was so depressed, was not able to really put that to words, not really able to talk much about my inner experience. I didn't have the language or... I think I had this sense that if I, even if I did have the language, that I wouldn't be understood. And yes. I, I don't know that I was giving people enough credit, honestly, but so I just tried to do what everyone does, I think, in that age, which is try to define myself 
by external roles, how mm-hmm. you're dressing, the mm-hmm. you know the affiliations. You try to build a self out of that, and of course, it, it doesn't work. But yeah, no, mm-hmm. I I was struggling, and I don't know that anybody really would have known how much I was at the time, but. Mm. But yeah, as an adult, do I have this based on Facebook? Do I have it figured out? I, it's <laughs> funny. I think I've embraced that. I never will have it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. I've embraced like I'm constantly in flux and kind of always learning. And, and I think there is a comfort with embracing the idea that I kind of have spiritual narcolepsy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> spiritual narcolepsy. <laughs> tell me more about that. Oh, well, I'll tell you more about the thing <laughs> that I just made up. The sense of I feel like I'm constantly struggling to be kind of present, conscious, centered, and mm-hmm. I'll do it for a little bit. And then I very quickly drift uh, kind mm. of to some level of unconsciousness where you know, kind mm-hmm. of old scripts get kicked up and then kind of find my way back and relearn the same lessons. And I, I think mm-hmm. a huge part of why I ended up in the profession that I did is has to do with, well, I think when you start out in the profession, it, you have the reasons you think you're getting into it, yeah. you know, which I want to make a difference. Right. I want to help people. I had a conservative Christian phase early on and oh, God's calling me to, to do this work. And mm-hmm. But if you're paying attention at all, you, you get into the field for a few years and you realize, oh, wait, no, <laughs> no, there's all these deeper reasons. Yeah. This has, yeah. And it has a lot more to do with my own wounding and mm-hmm. me trying to figure myself out, make sense of who am I? What am I doing? Yeah. It's that work. So the reasons that you go into the work initially, you get to a point where you can't stay in the field for the same reasons that got you into it. You have to Ooh, pivot. Oh, yeah, I you like have to that. Find new reasons. Even if you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing, it has to be for different reasons. Right. It keeps shifting for sure, for sure. So first of all, that's beautiful. Like in my mind, you were very popular. And I don't know if that's really true or not. But in my mind, at school, you were very popular. You're a good looking man. You're tall. All the ladies loved you. Even though you're with Liz, you're popular. And, you know, there's a certain, I guess, stereotype that goes with that, you know, like, oh, this person's they've got it all. And so they're going to be happy, go lucky. And so it's, it's really kind of beautiful and sweet to hear you talk about your experience of depression and how nobody was really aware of that. And it's looking back. Yeah. You did a good job of pretending I did not do such a good job. And everyone just thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I was. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have a lot of shame about who I was at that did time you? in my life. Yeah. Because like, just like you said, like there are things that were fucked up and it's like this balance of trying to put your finger on what's going on. And for me, it was a lot of like not really truly being seen and heard at home yeah. and not having anybody to validate the fact that I was I was chronically suicidal. And I just realized that actually, like going back through old journals yeah. and stuff, chronically suicidal. And yeah. the way that that manifested was I externalized so much rather than internalize it. And so it just became this like these behaviors that were very off-putting to a lot of people. And so I try to really practice compassion for that myself yeah. at that age because yeah. that was rough, yeah. It sounds like a difference between us is you, you went outward. I went inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, with our direction. But do you, are you in a place now where you can feel affection for that version of yourself? 
or do you cringe when you read these journal entries or see photos of yourself from that point? You know, I think truly it's all relational. When I think about the stories that people must remember about me, that's when the shame shows up. And the stories I remember about, you know, the tagline of my childhood was, I thought you were a bitch until I got to know you. Literally, I heard that time and time and time and time again. So clearly I was putting something out that was not very pretty. That needs to be the title of a chapter in your memoir. (laughs) Oh my God, you're so right. Or maybe that's the title of my book. Who knows? the title. That's yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm at a new stage of working through my grief and anger at my mother. And I think there's this this intertwined difficulty of where I wasn't myself because I was trying so hard to be the person that my mother expected me to be, but I couldn't do it. And so it's hard to know like where really was Sarah in that and I think if I once I work through this layer of anger with my mother, I might be able to be more compassionate about my younger self. I don't know. It's it's a TBD right now. Yeah. OK. But good question. Well, I think there is something uh, about that, that that window, that junior high, you know, high school, <laughs> thing, mm-hmm. there's something it's it's us at our most vulnerable in mm-hmm. the emotion where yeah. the emotions are intense, but we haven't developed sophisticated defense mm-hmm. me- mechanisms yet. And it's a very raw, vulnerable, basically we don't have our shit together yet. Mm-hmm. And as an adult where you do have a more sophisticated understanding, it's easy to look back at that, like that boy, that kind right. of just awkward, trying way too hard, mm-hmm. doing it wrong, feeling like I, I did so much. Of I feel like, oh, I didn't get the memo on mm. these rules. And when I was in my early 20s, I would just cringe. I couldn't even look at pictures of myself mm. from that phase because it was just I so wanted to disown that boy, I just wanted to shove him in the basement and lock the door and like, yeah. nope, nope yeah. you don't get to see the light of day. And But I, I pivoted from that through my own therapy and very much was able to get to a point where it's, like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. actually, you're my best part. Not yeah. only are you the, the worst embarrassment, but you're the key. But you're my vulnerability. Yeah. You, know, you are a raw expression of, of vulnerability. And that is the key to me connecting with people. And the fact that you did feel like an outsider and like you were doing it wrong and you didn't mm-hmm. fit. For me, that is a point of empathy now. Absolutely. That boy is the key to my work in connecting with people. If I had never felt misunderstood or especially when I was young, uh, yeah, just this this awkward how am I going to connect with someone who's going through that themselves, you know, in so many mm-hmm. ways. And so I feel deep affection for sort of what is chubby, awkward, gap toothed mm. uh, kid who's just sort of doing it wrong mm. at this point. And maybe I don't know if there will be some version of that for you that even yeah. even if she was maybe kind of intense to hang out with or, you know, for, for <laughs> oh, others, that's such that's a that's the, a great reframe thing. Great reframe. No, yeah. Well, and in some ways, I mean, we don't know each other well, but I mean, from what I do know of you, that you have a fire in you. There is Mm -hmm. an intensity, and I mean, your the the color of your hair is constantly Mm -hmm. sucks, and hair is deeply emotional for Mm -hmm. for for everyone. I think, and that's so integral, like that that role, part of you. She's a key. You know, you've maybe 
updated your interpersonal skills maybe a bit from (laughs) when you were 14. Thank goodness that we all do. Right. She's part of the team. She belongs. Well, thank you. That's really lovely. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is when I listen back to be able to write the show notes, Mm. hearing these things again and being able to like really take them in. Right. So thank you. I'm going to appreciate that later, too. So I'd love to hear the journey of when did you decide to become a therapist? What did that look like? You know, you talked a little bit about the reasons why you went into it initially. And then I'd love to hear about that part of when you discovered, oh, shit, there's (laughs) there were some other reasons I wasn't thinking about. I'd love that journey. Okay, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. What comes to mind initially is actually not about me, but uh, one of my very good friends as a psychiatrist who works here locally. And when I first met him, I completely misread him. I, Mm. I couldn't figure him out and I couldn't, I initially thought, is this guy kind of arrogant or Mm. aloof? Uh, I wasn't sure. And so at one point I went in, I said to him, you know, I'm really good at pattern recognition. I'm pretty good at figuring people out, but for the life of me, you make no sense to me (laughs) to take you out for tacos and get to know you. And when we went out for tacos, I bought him dinner and we were standing in line to be seated. And I'll remember this forever with him. I was like, so why did you become a psychiatrist? And he looked at me and said, why do you think? Amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, you know why yeah, you're, you're okay. in. You're in the club. Oh, Great. God. <laughs> and I immediately trusted him. But yeah, it wasn't for prestige or any of that stuff. It was just, mm-hmm. yeah. Because of his own his own pain. And mm-hmm. for me, yeah, high school, I was very depressed. And I think maybe I, I did hide it well in some ways, but I think it was very much a, a mask. Traces of the real me in it, but really mm-hmm. there was a lot that was a mask. And I think even with some of the popularity I did experience, in a lot of ways it was worse. Yeah. The depression worse. It's like, oh shit, you're buying this. You think right. this is a real thing? Oh God. <laughs> I yeah. remember by my senior year, I was ended up being prom king. So yes, oh, technically yes, I was, yes. was popular. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I remember standing up there as it was happening and feeling straight up suicidal. I just, it was mm. intolerable to me and I'm putting this mask on and wow. it just felt like such a fraud. But who's going to pity that? Who's right? gonna, who feels sorry for, for that guy? And I think that's part of it. You know, I was not visibly a train wreck, but emotionally mm. just very stormy. And I think one of the ways I coped with that towards the end of high school was really getting into more of a conservative religious faith. I think I was looking for guidance, mm-hmm. someone to tell me who I was and mm. more of a conservative religious faith provided that uh, some some guidance at that point in my life. And so when I went off to college at Indiana, I uh, had an interest in psychology and religion. So I studied both. Mm. And after I graduated, I wanted to continue to study. So actually, I went to seminary after I graduated. Really? Uh, yep, wow. For a couple of years and wanted to learn theology from theologians. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I learned some ancient Greek and all that. But through wow. that, really realized I, I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, that was one of the options I was considering. And uh, that would have so been the trajectory of Chad. You know what I mean? No, that was a Chad path. Yes. But I got there and it was still like the depression was still going. But sitting in seminary, realizing, oh, I am not obsessive in the right ways. And there's this ego piece that you kind of need and Hmm. where you have to need, I think, at some level. And people would probably 
disagree with some people would disagree with me, but I don't have the thing that you need, which is I need, I didn't, my ego didn't need to be a big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. And gurus make me nervous. I get really nervous around people who are really certain and have lots of answers. Yeah. I I don't trust it. And I can't step into that very well myself. So like positioning myself as some sort of expert or guru that, mm-hmm. you know, let I'm, me you know, connect you to let God. Let me tell you what happens when we die. Right, I know, right. you know, 23 year old, I have it all figured out. And, <laughs> uh, 23 white male mental answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Would have ended yes. beautifully. <laughs> yes, that trajectory. But so I got there and I figured out it's like, I, th- these are not my people. Good people, very mm-hmm. sincere in many ways, but this is not what I meant to do. And so at that point, I realized what I really do, though, I really like having deep conversations with people mm-hmm. in honest, messy conversations. I think that that is something, even though I don't know that I have answers, but I, I really value that. And there was this sense of, well, I'm going to die someday. I do know that. And mm-hmm. when I am dying, when I look back on my life, what would make it a meaningful life? What would mm. I look back and say, well, I, that wasn't a waste of time. And for me, it was, I want to look back and having tried to help people mm-hmm. that I was always successful. But it's like, if I spent the bulk of my day trying to help people find their way or feel less alone in the universe, that seems like a really meaningful way to spend my life. Mm-hmm. And there were points early on in my life where I figured that out. I had a friend in high school who um, had a stormy childhood and he actually ended up getting one of our classmates pregnant and mm-hmm. messy family life. And w- when the baby was due, he called me. It was like very early in the morning and I went to the hospital. His family wasn't there with him, but I was the only one there for him. Wow. At, you know, 16, 17, as a baby was being born and he was an anxious mess. And I, I felt like I'm glad I'm here. Like mm-hmm. this, the intensity mm-hmm. of yeah. this, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm mm-hmm. glad I'm here with him in this. And there's a number of moments of that through college as well. And it feels like sacred ground. It makes, I mm-hmm. honestly, I think mm-hmm. the self pieces, I feel less alone in the universe when I'm having, right? Yes, it meets a need for me, honestly. Yes. It helps me so much. And not that I feel like I'm using people. I, right. That feels gross to me. That does not sit well. But there is a sense of two people meeting in kind of a sacred space. and hmm. That's awesome. I totally agree. There's a line where it's this like mutual, mutual healing, right? Parallel process. And then there's the space where like, okay, you're too fucked up and you're really just using people. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where you think you have the power and all the answers and to get that sweet spot in the middle, that's the hope. I, I think that's what makes extraordinary therapists rather mm-hmm. than ordinary therapists is people who are willing to embrace that rather than try to run from it. I agree 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, how many times have you, I've been in practice 16 years now? Mm. How many times there has been where a client will be saying something and I think, I needed to hear that today. Right? <laughs> I, oh my God, right? All the time. It's like, oh, you're, and all the, there'll be times where I'm like, oh, you're, you're actually ahead of me in this area. Right. Truly, I don't really have many heroes. My clients are my heroes though. My clients yeah. and Fred Rogers, <laughs> Mr. Rogers and yeah. my That's about it, honestly. What's your Enneagram? For a long time, I thought I was a two. 
I actually am a four. I was going to say that. I was like, you're either a four or a nine. I do have my nine moments, but actually I'm, I'm a four. And when four is under stress, it takes on the traits of two. And so I I, I was mistaking. Actually, I was just an unhealthy four. Yeah. I'm very, very very intense, (laughs) Uh, way more intense than I think my external demeanor relays. But anybody Mm -hmm. that is close to me, if you were to ask my business partner, close friends, family, every one of them would say, oh yeah, he's complicated and not the easiest person to be really close to. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm a three, which totally makes sense. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You are chronically suicidal. (laughs) You can be depressed. You totally have a four wing. I thought I had a two wing. I mean, it's like you have you have both, right? I really want to like do some like deeper Enneagram work. I'm super into it. Oh, Enneagram is wonderful. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge personality inventory person. I mean, I think they have their right. place. I don't geek out on them with the exception of the Enneagram. It is the deepest. It will make you cringe, but I, mm-hmm. I recommend it to any couples that I work. I recommend it all the time or at the mm-hmm. practice here, our shorthand is Enneagram. Yes. Uh, yes. We hired someone last year who is wonderful, but our, our debate was we were pretty sure she was a three. Like, well, <laughs> we have three's energy here. Do we, <laughs> uh, we, we can you do. handle that? But yes, it is wonderful. So you're a three. I would have guessed four with a three wing. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been my guess, but or a three with a four wing. Yeah. Well, people usually guess seven. Hmm. I, you know, I could see that as yeah. well. I don't, I guess I don't know you well enough. But, you know, I know mm-hmm. you primarily from social media right. and the brief interactions <laughs> we've had. But seven, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I could see that too. You definitely have the energy mm-hmm. and four is a lower energy number. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, folks, I've talked about the Enneagram so much on this. If you haven't looked into it yet, just do it. it. And what I was recommended is not to take the test because then what can happen is what David was just explaining is that, oh, I thought I was this, but I'm actually that. But actually reading through the types and through the the healthy versus the unhealthy way that it's expressed. And then also the subtypes, because I'm the, so three is the achiever and the one who wants to like be in front of people and the, I guess, shadow side is vanity, but I'm a counter subtype and I can't remember which one it is, but I'm a counter subtype that wants to do everything I can to not be perceived as vain. Yes. That your, your ego is attached yeah. to be perceived as not as vain. not vain. Right. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. That is your vanity. Right. You go out of your way to yeah, yeah. project that. Yes. Yeah. So are you a wing five? I think I'm a five wing. Yeah. Okay. I okay. think I'm a five wing. And okay. of the subtypes, it would be the self-preservation four, yeah. which is the counter type. Yes. I think that's the subtype. I can't remember. I need to have the book in front of me at all times. Yes. Highly recommend reading up on it, though. I like as an intro book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram. I don't mm. know if you have. That's one of my most dog-eared and underlined books. I have I the house. complete Enneagram because I go all the way. Yes, you, you, you do. That, that's the, that's Beatrice, the three. Yep. Is that the Beatrice Chestnut one? That sounds right. She is wonderful. Yeah, I, I would say if you geek out on the, the wisdom of the Enneagram, then look into Beatrice Chestnut. She mm-hmm. is great. You'll probably cringe mm-hmm. because it really does a good job of, of naming ways that we sort of can be manipulative at times uh, to get our needs mm-hmm. met. And mm-hmm. But it is, it is a wonderful resource, though. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Let's shift into the the healer talk. Okay. I think I probably know what you're going to say in answer to this question, but do you consider yourself a healer? Good question. 
the word healer, the first thing that comes to mind is like the Benny Hinn televangelist, like where you've got mm-hmm. the finger point guns and your <laughs> comb over and the white suit and the gold throne and that would be amazing if I were like that. <laughs> I want a fucking gold throne. Rich. Yes. I, right, I want finger point guns. People falling down. Everybody's yeah, healing people that way. Right. I can't take myself seriously as a guru or a big mm-hmm. fucking deal. And that is all of what that is. When I think of healer, I'm not like a Benny Hinn healer. I do not think I have all the answers or certainty. Mm-hmm. I would say, if anything, I'm a healer but less like Benny Hinn, more like Wizard of Oz, Mm. which is, okay, so I have the office, I've got the title, I know the lingo, I can can sort of create the space, but secretly I'm just an ordinary guy. Mm -hmm. I'm just some dude that my role is to help people see the things that they're looking for are in them, you know, the heart, the head, Mm -hmm. the the courage, and it would be more like that kind of healing. Mm -hmm. I love seeing people get better and find their way. I never get tired of it. Yeah, right. And often my favorite work and the work that grows me the most sometimes are the stormiest people at the beginning, but I I see them work with them for years. Mm -hmm. And then they turn the corner and they start getting better better and growing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever get tired of that. And even though it's it's very private work, for the most part, nobody ever knows other than right. the person I'm working with. And if they tell people, it's very mm-hmm. private work. And I love that. I love seeing people grow. But am I healing them? Ugh, no, I'm not comfortable saying that. Mm-hmm. I am a healer of souls. One of my... <laughs> My, my best friend, since I was 11 years old, the funniest human being I know, he will periodically, if I talk to him on the phone or text him, be like, hey, buddy, did you heal any souls today? Aww. <laughs> just like, totally taking me down a peg. Just right. Like, and I love it. That feels like love to me is mm-hmm. just like, yeah, who do you think you are? Come on. And I think actually, paradoxically, that makes me a better healer. Yeah. Agreed. The paradoxes of the work that the only people that should be in this work are the people that know they have no business being in the work. Yeah. And if you know that you have no business doing this work, that actually qualifies you at some level. Mm-hmm. The best therapists I know, none of them see themselves as big deals. Yeah, They're not larger in life on social media. They, a lot of them are kind of one-off individual therapists who mm-hmm. sort of see the work as sacred and they are fully themselves, not trying mm-hmm. to be larger than life. Yeah, if that makes sense. It does. And now I'm feeling judged because I'm larger than life. Um, (laughs) I don't really feel judged. One of my conundrums as a three in this profession is like, I know that my divine purpose is to be on stage helping Mm -hmm. to wake people up. That's my, that is my divine purpose. And so Mm -hmm. in order to do that, I do have to develop a platform and position myself as an expert and blah, blah, blah. And I struggled so hard with that because it's, you know, not being seen as vain and, and to this profession, it's, you know, like you just said, and I, and I truly did not take it personally at all, but there is kind of this understated thing of like, don't think that you're too big for your britches. Now we're going to knock you down because that's just not how we do this here. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the paradox too. Right. There is a humility 
Yes. But it needs to be paired with a Mm self-confidence, like a deep Mm -hmm. self-confidence as well. And an owning of your worth. Yes. Yes. Owning that, while I don't have all the answers, I have something to express that could be of value to the right people. There are people out there that will benefit from this Mm -hmm. and owning that in a way. And I think enjoying now I'm like totally contradicting myself because it is, <laughs> it is both. And I've, I've something right, I'm, right. I, you know, I'm a business owner as well. And so right. I've had to really work through my own ambivalence of putting myself mm-hmm, out there and mm-hmm. sort of creating a brand. And right. if people don't know that you exist, you're not going to be able to, to help them right. and be able to own that in a way that is you're putting yourself out there. You may be loud and verbally processing in some ways, but actually I don't see you positioning yourself as a guru or that you feel like you have all the answers. No. Or I experience you as leading from a place of love and enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, And feeling like I love connecting with people and I love the self work and I love having my mind blown by these new things that I didn't know existed and turning these ideas around and connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't experience that as arrogant or off-putting at all, actually, mm-hmm. because I, I know in myself, I'm not drawn to people right. like that. Right. But I love seeing people love things. Yes. Yes. Whatever. Same. <laughs> you know what? Even if it's something I could care less about, like I don't, I could care less about golf if sports mm-hmm. in general, if sports did not exist, my life would be no different in any way. Same, same. Ugh. But if I were to have a conversation with, say, a client who loves golf and mm-hmm. I would ask him or her, what do you love about golf? Tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And if I see them light up about what they love, about, I'm all over it. Yeah. Like, oh, I would have never thought about that. Okay. So you love being out, you know, the connecting with people, being out in nature, you can hear yourself think, the serenity. Of, okay. Mm. That I geek out on. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to you know, buy a set of clubs, but. <laughs> Save your money. So for what that's worth, I get working through the shame thing, but I, yeah. I experience you as, as one being driven by love and enthusiasm, not like the need to mm-hmm. be seen in a certain yeah. way. Yeah could be wrong about that, but I do think that's at the core of it. I mean, that's what I talked about in my therapy session yesterday is this lack of being seen in my childhood certainly translated to the way that I present myself to the world now. And it's, we're bypassing the wounded healer talk, but that's part of, I think the transformation and the transmutation really, um, of, utilizing the wounds in a positive way and not coming from the wound, but coming from being informed by the wound. Absolutely. And I think there are ways that as you heal the wound, it frees up some of the Mm -hmm. the skills that you develop, you know, so as a three, it's like I felt unseen, unheard. And so I I developed a way of existing in the world where I sort of demand attention. Yes. yes. Like I have that skill. I will be loud. I will have rainbow colored Mm -hmm. hair. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you an option. You will see me. (laughs) You will look at me and you will Mm -hmm. hear me. Yep. Uh, You have that skill set that maybe came out of that adapting to that Mm -hmm. wounded place. As you heal that skill then becomes yours to play with. You can play mm-hmm. with it and enjoy it. I enjoy being comfortable, being in front of people and, and mm-hmm. creating a podcast and putting it out there. And it's not so much tethered to that wounded girl right. place anymore. Right. My humor was a huge part of how I adapted. And, mm-hmm. and this guy is fucking hilarious, you guys. You have no idea. It's just, it keeps me sane. It's how I mm-hmm. stayed sane. 
I am near impossible to offend and I have an extremely mm-hmm. dark sense of humor that I love about myself in a way, a way mm. of coping, kind of a gallows humor, I think for me, mm-hmm. but it is a huge part of how I work with people. And just well, one of it enhances my life in so many ways. Laughing really hard is probably my favorite thing. That is the best medicine. Well, it just it, laughing till you hurt because I yes. think nothing like over <laughs> over analyzing humor is, is a great way to be really unfunny. But <laughs> I think it is you're so in the moment. You are so mm-hmm. in the now of your life when you are laughing really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's this involuntary response to the present moment. And it is wonderful. I love that. Have you have you heard The Hilarious World of Depression, that podcast? Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, humor mixed with existential soul searching, psychological right? soul searching. Do you know Pete Holmes' work at all? If you ever listened to You Made It Weird Mm-mm. podcast or no. any of this stuff? Okay. Well, you're welcome in advance. Okay. Um, Thank you. You made it weird. Yes. He is a stand-up comedian who's had a podcast for years, has done tons of therapy. He geeks out on all the same things you and I would geek out on and is extremely intelligent. Silly as all get out and weaves between sort of spiritual, like super open. We'll have on pastors, people from every woo-woo corner of the world, Mm. stand-up comedians and weaves in sort of meaning of life with sort of irreverent comedy and just Mm. this wonderfully open place. He is a gift to the universe. So yes, Pete Holmes, Mm. he has a a book that came out, highly recommend called Comedy Sex God. (laughs) He's great. Okay, adding to Spotify. Yep, there it is Mm -hmm. right now. Following. So we're running out of time. And I didn't even ask you the wounded healer question, whether or not you identify with that nomenclature, moniker, whatever you want to call it. I'm much more comfortable with wounded healer than just straight up healer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I very much see myself and it's very much woven into the the culture of our practice here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Share about the practice. Oh, sure. Yeah. We're a small private practice in the suburbs of Chicago in in Naperville. And I started the practice with uh, one of my best friends, a guy named Kelly Flanagan. And we have a handful of therapists working here. It's uh, outpatient. But very much the culture of our practice or the foundation comes from the place of where we we don't have all the answers. We mm-hmm. are works in progress. We're all walking the same path. We're not above anyone. We're all trying to mm-hmm. figure out essentially how to be a fucking person. How do you be mm-hmm. close to people? And we're all a bit obsessive about that work. We're kind of intense and obsessive in that search ourselves, but see ourselves as fellow travelers in that, not mm. experts but also we'll kind of own the authority to try not to undermine that completely. Mm-hmm, but, you mm-hmm. know, we, we do think a lot about it. But yeah, that's the culture of the practice. Well, we're coming to the end of the hour and, and I want to make sure that, you know, if there's anything else in particular you wanted to share with listeners or tell us a joke, I don't know, anything you want to close with? To people in general, just keep looking inward. Like be yeah. a student of yourself. Just be mm. a lifelong student of yourself Never assume you have it all figured out. And if you feel like you have it all figured out, be a little nervous, be skeptical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We continue evolving. I think talking helps. I'm a huge believer in that. The practice we were talking about, reworking some of the branding stuff. And we had this several week thing. We were trying to come up with a, some sort of tagline. And this one I suggested, we didn't end up using it, but I still like it, was life is weird. 
talking helps. Oh, <laughs> like, I but, love but that. I, that is the sum of me. We yeah. ended up working out something else, but that's the truth of how I feel. Life is weird. Mm-hmm. And talking helps at that process. And so any ways that you can find people to connect with. Therapy is one venue for that. Mm-hmm. I think listening to podcasts like this one mm-hmm. are, are wonderful. It's hearing conversations unfold just in that being a student of yourself. That is my love in life. And it's something that I feel so fortunate to get to do that for my job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is never a day in 16 years that I've dreaded coming to work. Right. I dread paperwork. I'm not very, (laughs) I'm still figuring out so much about being (sighs) a business owner. Yes. Constantly behind. I have a list that is eternal and there's a list of things I need to do. And then the list of how the fuck have you not done this yet? It's yes, horrifying. It is. It's always there. <laughs> Ugh, we could do a totally separate yeah, thing on the business ownership. It's that piece, but mm-hmm. the being student of yourself and trying to grow deeper in that understanding, that is not time wasted. You will not regret. Yeah. Well, this has been so awesome. I really hate going to the suburbs, but now I really want to come have dinner with you and Liz sometime. (laughs) (laughs) And I want you to meet my husband because he's so amazing and he's a therapist now. And I think we would just, yeah, he just got his MSW. That's so exciting. It's super exciting. Will he be working with you or is he? Fuck no. He's going to do his own thing. He's working with older adults. That is exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This is the first podcast I've ever done. And so I'm losing my podcast virginity here. I took it. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag high school. Hashtag. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You took the prom Kings podcast. Oh my God, you guys. I'm going to post this on the Fairfield alumni page. You do that. You (laughs) give that to teenage hot mess train wreck all drama you your best part right oh is my God. secret hypothesis <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much this has been amazing seriously thank you so much for having me sarah take care so chad's out there what do you think i'm afraid i'm gonna get some like chad hate mail now if i do i might post about it because i just might Anyway, one thing I also wanted to mention is if you are a fan of the show and would like to support the show, I do have a Patreon account at Patreon slash Wounded Healer, and that's Wounded spelled normally Healer, spelled H-E-A-L-R, just because... I'm an Aquarius and I have to be different. So, but if you search for conversations with the wounded healer on Patreon, you will find that and you can give as little as $1 a month. And believe me, it is super duper helpful because podcasting is not cheap. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.